Welcome to NIL Undressed. I'm Ryan Schockner, along with Dr. Cheney Robinson. Good afternoon. Cheney, you know, we know that NIL and the transfer portal has, has changed how coaches operate at the Power 5 level, but as you go down to the group of five, mid-major, D2, D3, we don't really hear about it as much. Yeah. But today, we have Coach Sarah Tompkins, all right, head women's soccer coach at Eastern Connecticut State University. Not only is she the head coach there, um, but she took over for the winningest coach in school history, right? So it's like the – She used to be there. I mean, holy cow. So do you want to coach after Dabo or, or Coach Saban and – she threw her hand up and she's like, yeah, I'm up for it. Let's go. Um, so she took over for the winningest coach in school history. She started in 2021 when all the craziness started to unfold. Okay. So not only has she managed it well on the field, but her team averaged a 3.67 GPA winning the little East conference academic award. Uh, so they're getting it done on the field and off the field. Yep. And when she's done with her day job, she's also the head coach of the U15 Olympic Development Program and the Elite Development Program with Rush Elite at the U23 uh, level in the in the Rush Summer League. So she is like eats it, drinks it, sleeps it. She's all in. Now it doesn't uh, sound like she sleeps. Yeah. No, not much. Not much. And. So all that to say, uh, but she was also a player, right? And she did her part to help Tennessee Martin win back-to-back Ohio Valley Conference Championships and visit the NCAA Women's Soccer Tournament. So, Cheney, clearly, you know, women's soccer is not my expertise, but, um, you know, I don't think I'm venturing too far off here by saying that we may be watching Coach Tompkins at some point if she chooses to to pursue it at the with the women's national team uh, at some point in the Olympics or the World Cup or something like that. We can say we knew her win. Exactly, exactly. Sarah, welcome to NIL Undressed. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Very kind words, very kind words. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Sarah, let's, let's go ahead and jump right in. What we like to typically do is start off with some rapid-fire questions, kind of get us rolling. So. What do you like most about being at Eastern Connecticut? Um, the people. I think that's probably one of the biggest draws that drew me there was the people. I think the people make the experience. And I'm I'm really blessed to be surrounded by the other coaches that I have in the department, my athletic director, my associate athletic director, and all the all the teachers and professors that work there. Awesome. Favorite on campus restaurant and what's your go-to menu menu item? All right. Um, this is a hot topic on campus. I would definitely stay the student center um, and the mile high burger um, from the grill is definitely the go-to option for sure. All right. I am a, I'm a, an eating connoisseur. <laughs> you can't really tell that. Uh, although I do look kind of like Big Bird here. What is it about the mile high burger? Why is, why is that your go-to? I, it started back in preseason last year and um, one of my assistant coaches got it and he was raving about it. And I think it's, it's got onion rings, bacon, barbecue sauce. So like enough said, enough said a long you day, you know, a long day. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah. Indulge. That's beautiful. We, we, Ryan, we, we need to get, we need to head North buddy. Yes, sir. Well, we can have that burger. All right, Sarah, what got you into coaching? Um, 
started out in obviously playing college soccer. My senior year, I dealt with a couple of knee surgeries and then kind of a setback my senior year. So I picked up coaching like a small, like local club rec team um, near my school when I was a senior in, in college. And I loved it and ended up getting the opportunity to be a graduate assistant coach. And then from there, it just kind of took off. I think I've always stayed outside, played outside ever since I was younger and sitting behind a desk was never something I wanted to do. And I think it just was like the best way to keep going and never have to stop worrying. Like I, I'm the, I always say to my players, like, I don't ever give up soccer. Like your career might end, but mine never does. Cause it just keeps going. It evolves. Yeah. You don't have a job. You get to play soccer for your, for your life. Exactly. Right? It's not, it's not exactly. Like job. What is your coaching style? Um, I'm definitely over the years, I think it's had to change based on the schools that I've worked at. Um, I've become more of a player's coach now working at the D3 level. I kind of had to go through a bit of self-reflection coming from D1 um, to make sure that, because I mean, I was all X's and O's when I was at the division one level. And that's kind of was my biggest worry. And I did a lot with more like, I mean, being a female on staff working with athletes, female athletes, like that was kind of the thing. I had a great connection with them, but now getting to know them even better and more than just as a soccer player, like what did they enjoy to do off the field? Like, what's your family like? What do you do during the summer? So I've kind of had to turn the tides this past year and be like, okay, let's, let's start over and reevaluate how you want to coach to be successful, especially with the level you're at and the type of athlete you're working with. Like all of them, I said, coach, I'm never going to be a professional athlete. Like it's not happening. So I can't coach them that way. That's just not realistic. So I would definitely say more of a player's coach. Well, Um, and that's good. And that's good that you figured that out sooner rather than later. Right. And and, uh, because it's all about even from playing to coaching, it's, it's figuring out strengths, weaknesses. How do we make these weaknesses stronger, um, adapt and, and overcome and, and move on. And so the fact that you did that and did that so quick, um, is probably why you've you've had the success you've had uh, thus far at the coaching level. Yeah, it took a, it took a season to figure out why the heck is this square peg not going into this round hole. But once I figured it out, I think I always tell the players like I'm like your bigger sister. I'm going to be my love on you, but I'm also going to be really tough on you. And they bought in and loved it. That's great. All right, so we've heard coaches in favor of NIL and against NIL. Um, and not only do you have to deal with name, image, and likeness, mm-hmm. uh, and it, but it hit in your first year as a coach, meaning there was no roadmap to how, you know, how do we deal with this? Yeah. Uh, what was, as a coach, what was your initial reaction to NIL? Um, I think my initial reaction was like, I understand why it's, it's become, it's come to this point. Like I I get it. There are athletes out there that are being, their names being used, their images are being used and they're not getting the end product for it. So I, I think the way it came out with NCAA, they kind of just sent it out there and we're like, this is what we're doing. And everyone's like, wait, what? It was a little bit blindsiding, not enough information, very, a lot of gray areas, a lot of gray areas. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of in like, I don't know enough yet to fully have a total opinion on it. I think athletes do deserve to get paid, um, especially at those power five levels. 
So I'm I'm kind of like still navigating my way through it, but um, I wouldn't say like I'm I'm against it at all. I do I do understand it. I get it. Um, it's just so gray, so gray. Yeah, you know, and and um, almost intentionally gray <laughs> to cause yeah. to cause yeah. the chaos. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll leave that one there. Um, <laughs> so how did um. So at the at you still have connections at the D one and and you know um, former teammates and and all the way down at the D three level, but also coaching um, at the Olympic development level with athletes there. How have you observed at at kind of each level those three levels? Right? Yeah. How have the have the have the girls processed it and adapted? To, um, you know, what they're doing, how they're acting and and how they're engaging in it at, at each level. I think if, so this past week, kind of going to go into a little story time here, just so it makes sense. Um, I was in Ohio with, I am actually coach um, a club team and we were in Ohio at nationals this past weekend. And I was sitting down talking with some of the girls. It was like, finish the game up for the day, getting resting, recovering, doing that kind of stuff. And I was talking about like schools and where you want to go. Cause they're all juniors and sophomores in high school. And I made a comment like, um, about power fives. And one of the girls was like, what's a power five. And I'm like, huh? And they're like, Oh, like those big schools. And I was like, yeah, I mean, kind of. Yeah. Um, so it was funny cause we started diving into the topic about that and, um, how athletes get paid and stuff. But I think a lot of them are still really naive based on the sport. I I would say women's soccer is, I mean, every athlete I work with in women's soccer is tremendous from an academic standpoint. And I think a lot of female soccer players kind of have that drive on and off the field. And there's not really the thought process of money from like getting paid standpoint. I think a lot of them want to just find themselves at the best institution because scholarships are operate so differently than basketball and football. Right. Um, it's all percentage-based dollar amount. It's not like a headcount sport. So I think they're still pretty naive to it. They understand that it is a possibility, but they don't fully understand it yet. Um, yeah. How they can fit into it. Yeah. My, one of my players just committed to Notre Dame literally two days ago. And I was asking her like, what do you love about the school? Like what excites you? And she's like, Oh, I love the playing style. I love the coaches. I love the campus, but like no mention of, NIL deals. I think a lot of them are just, especially women's soccer are still pretty naive to it and how it operates. And if it's even a possibility. Yeah. So, well, the good news is if they listen, it is a possibility. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it just looks different at each level. Right. Yeah. Um, has it, so when you're on the road recruiting, mm-hmm. has it become a factor in, uh, in that recruiting conversation or as you're working with, uh, the club uh, club girls, mm-hmm. and they're asking you. I'm sure they ask you for advice and and insights and all that kind of stuff. Um, has it been a part of the recruiting conversations that they've been having? Um, I would definitely say yes and no. A lot of the questions are geared towards resources. So, like, what resources do they get based on the institution they go to? And that NIL does play a total role in that. Um, so I think that's kind of what they're drawn to a lot is more resources and what is out there. What can they get? Um, brands like 
Who are they affiliated with? Like, I mean, I've heard a lot of, I, that's probably the biggest topic is like, who are they affiliated with? And are there deals with those affiliations? Like yeah. if the school is sponsored by Nike, does that mean that I get like something of that nature? Yeah. Um, and I've just noticed that in that those sophomores, juniors is like the affiliation, what they get, what the campus looks like. What does the soccer field look like? Do they have their own soccer field? Do they share a locker room? Do they have their own locker room? Um, that's been the biggest topics, um, that they look up because everything for them is social media. Like what do they see in social media and what, like they'll click on the school, they'll click on an athlete and then they'll go on the athlete's page and see what do they have? Like what deals do they have? Stuff like that. But they're still trying to figure all that out, but that's how they measure a lot of things. Um, from my standpoint at Eastern, it's not really a big topic. Um, I think the type of athlete that I'm working with looks more towards like that after I'm done with graduation, what, what can I do? Um, next. Yeah. There's, I mean, there are deals out there for them and I, they've sent things. There's some, some D3 athletes have like their own brand and they sell products for their brands. I asked a couple of my athletes this past season if they would do that. And they were just like, I mean, I could, you know, um, but it's, it's not totally grown yet. I think it's still kind of like, they're not sure if they can go down that route or not. Um, so I think as time evolves and, and things go on, I think more, you'll start to see some D3 athletes with their own branding, um, selling sweatshirts with their name on it or whatever it might be. Yeah, for sure. We've kind of we've we've kind of talked around this question a little bit, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pose it to you. Uh, you know, now that we're entering year three of NIL, have your players started to participate? And what are their biggest challenges with getting going in NIL? I would say they've not they've clicked, they've ventured, they've looked at, but they've not done anything with it yet. Um we got an email, all the athletes got an email the other day from a company that wants to work with them. And then our athletic director sent out an email and was like, we don't know yet kind of how this can impact us, um, especially with them utilizing the school's brand. That's always a big gray area right now is like, can an athlete put their name on a shirt and then also put like Eastern Connecticut and use the logos of the university without approval. So that was kind of the, that's kind of the hot topic right now in our email is like, pump the brakes for a second. Cause this, the company that reached out wants to use our school's logos, but has not been approved to yet. So I think that's kind of where it has to start. Like we got to figure that piece out. Yeah. They can kind of move forward, but that, that was literally just this past week. Um, having conversations about using school's logos and putting them on brands and, and branding yourself as an athlete. Well, and, and, you know, I think we see that's, that's positive news, right? For the D3 athlete that, Hey, yeah, we can participate in this. And, and the conversations that we have with athletes and with coaches and and athletic departments, it's, um, NIL is just the beginning of what is a lifelong opportunity. Right. And, and what I mean by that is, yes, you can monetize yourself and get paid short term here. But the other things you can do is now you can connect with alumni. You can mm-hmm. you can reach out and have conversations that prior to name, image, and likeness, 
you you really had to dance around because you didn't want to you know violate mm. some rule and and you know get some some undue drama right mm. and um so now it's it's not just can we set ourselves up and build our brand to monetize short term it's how do we set ourselves up build our brand so that we can monetize ourselves through the rest of our life and that may be putting your name or a logo on a t-shirt or it may be um, you know, getting an internship, whereas, you know, before and, and having it designed to fit your schedule and all that, mm-hmm. whereas before that would have been, um, you know, an, an improper benefit to an athlete and, and you, yep. you know, you would have gotten in trouble for it. And so it's, it's, it, we're kind of open the eyes to that, Hey, life starts now, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're, and we can we can trial and error a lot of things. Well, you don't have a lot on the line while you're still a student athlete. Whereas, um, you know, prior to you know July one, twenty twenty one, it was you have to wait till after athletics. And now it's trial and error. Do you want to start the entrepreneurship side? Uh, is that really something you're going to like? Well, you had to wait to figure that out, yep. and, and now you don't. Yep. Um, you know, the other side of this NIL is the transfer portal, right? Yeah. And and I would think, especially at your level, this is probably the, you know, the the bigger um, or even at that mid-major where you coached uh prior, the the bigger issue, right? It's mm-hmm. um, and that's really, you know, NIL has changed college athletics, but it's this transfer portal that has really changed uh college athletics because prior to as you know there were some pretty rigid rules around yep. where you could go and and how you know you had to sit out and your life kind of had to be put on hold um so the you know in the collegiate athletic world it's you know it's not just a recruiting business but it's now also a retention business and retention um you know is a team sport right and what i mean by that is it takes the coaches the athletic department um, the administration on, you know, outside of the athletic department. So, and, and you as a coach, you don't necessarily have control over what the athletic department does, right? right. Maybe more so at a D3 level, but at, at that, you know, at the D1 level, less control, right? So mm-hmm. um, looking at now what you can control, mm-hmm. how have you dealt with or seen the portal being dealt with? We want to thank our sponsor, Success Beyond Game Day. For many athletes, the last safe place was the locker room. They could be themselves and not be judged. Success Beyond Game Day creates a locker room community for athlete development. Partnering with individual athletes, high schools, athletic departments, college and pro teams on building their brands, understanding name, image, and likeness, how to get deals, and personal finance all while leveraging a proprietary assessment that identifies core skills that athletes can leverage to create a competitive advantage, all while creating an environment where athletes can connect to push each other to greatness. Check it out at www.successbeyondgameday.com. Um, portal overall is chaos. Um, I think it's not it's not really I'm trying to put it in the best way, but it's, it's, it is out of control. Like the number of athletes that are into the portal, because yeah. now there's not a lot of, you can enter the portal and stay at your university. If you don't find something you like, it's almost like shopping for a new job. You can enter your name, 
don't like the options and then come straight back without any repercussions. And that's been a, that was a hot topic when I was at Quinnipiac is athletes would just enter. And if they didn't like what they saw or didn't like the contact they got, they could stay. Um, and every school has an athletic department operates differently from that. I know some schools you enter the portal, you can lose your scholarship, but like some schools you can enter the portal and you can keep your scholarship and you can stay at the school. Um, I've heard coaches say to athletes, Hey, you enter the portal, you have one week to determine if you're going to stay or go. And if I don't hear from you after a week, your spot's gone. So it's being handled differently everywhere across the country. And I think it, it makes it difficult for the athletes too, because you don't really know what you're going to get into. Um, yeah. I mean, when you look at the portal for women's soccer right now, there's no way every single kid in there will find a new home. There's just way too many athletes in there. Um, and then on top of it, like it's late. So like you're entering the portal, hoping that the university you're going to has spots, has availability or has money if that's what you're looking for. Um, and so it's, it's really kind of playing a game, I guess, is the, the way to say it by entering your name in there and knowing that there could be repercussions, but there also could be, a, it could be, the grass could be greener. Um, yeah. But you really don't know. So I think you see it across the board. Like uh, we have two transfers that came in um, this past year and like it worked great for us. Um, perfect transfers. We got great kids. Um, they fit the mold of what we need but we got them earlier on. Like we were never going to get them late. It just wasn't going to be possible. And they, each of them said like, I had no idea what was going to happen. Um, I was just looking for a place that fit what I wanted. So it, it's really, it's, it's crazy. Cause every school operates different. Like you said, like I can't control what the athletic department does and whatever their rules are, their rules. And especially at division one, like every school will operate differently based on how kids enter the portal. Yeah. Well, and, you know, we see culture as, as a big part of building a successful long-term program, right? Mm -hmm. What is your team culture? And, and now we throw in the portal um, and, you know, especially you coming in as a new coach, it's, you're, you're picking up on some of that culture, but yet you're also defining it to where it's, it's you and it's your team now. Mm -hmm. And then you have, uh, recruits coming in and you have to make sure, you know, they fit the culture. So the, my question is how knowing that, that recruits can just, you know, bolt, right. Yeah. How do you build a culture, um, and, and have a culture that you're known for, uh, as a coach, how, how do you go about doing that? I think it starts with buy-in the athletes have to be bought into what you're, what you're, I mean, what you're selling. And if they don't, they're going to sit on the fence all day long. Um, and it's not easy. Culture is not built overnight. It takes time. It's a trusting process. Um, I think there are moments where like there are, there are times when, I mean, for instance, Quinnipiac, when I was there, the best player in the program just left. She's the leading goal scorer in the country. She left and when she went to Penn state, does it make sense? Yeah. I mean, you look at the picture, like she's the leading goal scorer in the country playing at Quinnipiac. And she's a phenomenal player. So situations like that where the coach and the player are in agreement happen. Um, and that kind of helps the culture flow. But when you do have players coming in and out, like almost like a revolving door, that's when you're going to start to have cultural issues. And it's there's why aren't players staying is going to be the bigger question. So if you can build a culture of kind of the trust, the safety, um, 
allowing the athletes to grow and develop, I think you'll have good foundation and good culture. But if it becomes a revolving door, then you're going to struggle. Um, yeah. You're not going to see any consistency ever. Yeah. You know, I, and I just would think that would be hard because each coach has their own way of dealing with the portal. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, part of building the culture could be how you, you know, allow, and then do you bring back athletes if they put their you know toes in the water and the portal and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's, I mean, that's a tough one, right? That's a tough yeah. one because you can make really good arguments on both sides of, of what mm-hmm. you should do. Um, but it's, oh man, I don't know how you, I don't even know. I don't know how I'd wrestle with that one. Yeah. Uh, you know, because I, I, I can see the, the rigid, Hey, if you want to leave, leave and your spot's gone. I'm going to find someone else that wants to be here. But then at the same time, you have that aspect of the, you know, they're kids and they're trying to figure out, you know, what this is and, and what life is and where do they fit? So is, you know, trying to diagnose, you know, like your example, the young lady going to Penn state, I mean, it makes perfect sense. Right. And, and you could get on board with that. So is there, is it a case by case or is there a culture of these kids wanting to leave in, in yeah. which case that's an indictment on, you know, on the program and, and a, you know, uh, you know, a sign of a bigger problem. Yeah. And there's like, I think one of the biggest things I've seen recently is just their degrees. Like what they want to major in is the reason they're leaving. Um, for if you take out kind of NIL from a standpoint of financial side and look at the athletes, a lot of the athletes in the portal for women's soccer, I would say, are transferring either lack of playing time and they'll drop down a level or a division um, or they just don't have the major. Because um, they're, I mean, that rule of no longer being allowed to recruit athletes, because women's soccer was way ahead of the game a while ago and we were picking up athletes freshman, eighth grade, like signing them and getting them on board. And now it's, you can no longer commit that athlete until the junior year. So, I mean, I personally didn't have my life figured out when I was a junior in high school. So they're <laughs> committing to what they like, but yeah. it's what they like when they see it. It's not like, oh, yeah, I want to be an architect. And then you end up at a school that doesn't even have architecture. So I think that's been a big thing too, is like the commitment process and that timeline and the crunch. Like some coaches put hard timelines on recruits to commit. And some kids are like, hey, the money's great. I'm going to do it. And then they get there and they're like, wait, it doesn't even have what I want to do. I'm not playing or I didn't, I'm in the middle of nowhere or I didn't like city life and I find myself at a city school. So I think a lot of them find themselves in the portal for various reasons. Um, But the money piece of that NIL deal is kind of like a little nudge to like, "Eh, yeah, I like, let me see what's out there. What can I do with, with my name? You know? Absolutely. Well, Sarah, we know we got tons, there are tons of athletes looking to play at the next level, right? Mm-hmm. What advice would you give middle school, high school athletes that would help them get on a coach's recruiting radar? Uh, communication. I think athletes, at the end of the day, so like you look at your inbox, like I'm going off to a recruiting event, I'm going to have hundreds of emails from recruits that are interested or want me to watch them play. If you aren't consistent with your communication, you're going to drop off the radar really quickly. Um, I tell my club kids this all the time, like you might send 
40 emails of course over the course of the year and get no replies. That doesn't mean that they're not interested. It just means like they probably wrote your name down and they're watching you play and it just takes time. Like sometimes you have to watch a kid play one, two, three, four times before you make a decision. Yeah. So I, I would say consistent communication is key with sending emails to get your name out there. Video footage is huge. Um, I mean, with the way the world's working with Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, everything, like an athlete can be found out really quickly on social media. Like, I mean, I go on my social media all the time and there's athletes that pop up and I'm like, oh, who's this kid? So I think just staying kind of engaged and in, in putting your name out there constantly is going to help you get evaluated and help you get on radars a lot quicker than the athlete who sends one email to the school that they like once a year. Right. Um, the more name, the name that comes across my desk a thousand times, I'm like, okay, who is this kid? I got to go figure yeah. out who they are. Um, and I'm not annoyed. It's, it's, it's smart. Yeah. Annoy me. I'd yeah. rather you annoy me and me be like, okay, I have to find out who you are. than hear your name once. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the key there that I picked up is um, you, you may not get a reply, right? Yeah, correct. And so it doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's not getting looked at, that it's not getting read, that you're not getting scouted. It just means that you just haven't gotten a reply. And so if it's, if it, and it's almost a test, right? I mean, I, that's how I would look at it. I mean, how, how much does this kid really want to be here? Mm-hmm. And, uh, the more consistent that they, you know, send that, uh, communication, the, uh, the better their, the better their odds. Cause there's, I mean, how many, how many high school, you know, female soccer players are there in the United States? A I, lot, right? So a lot. Hundreds so of thousands. So, yeah. uh, and so it's, it, you have, you've got to be able to stand out from that, from that mass of, of kids. Yeah. And they got to be realistic too. I mean, everybody's my young dream is to play in the U.S. women's national team when I was a kid. And I got to college. I was like, there's no shot. (laughs) I think I had to be realistic at some point, you know? Um, But the more realistic you are and the more communication you have, you will find yourself in a really good position. Yeah. All right. So you've, you've shared what they should do. (laughs) Can you share with us what they should not do? Generic emails that don't, include why you like the university. Um, don't even include my name. Uh, I think the generic emails coaches can filter through pretty quickly. Um, I mean, I got an email last week telling me that they were interested in our aerospace science program. I don't have aerospace science at Eastern. I wish her all the best, but (laughs) not beneficial. Um, so making sure when they do their research and they're looking at schools that they are like, sending emails that are correct and thought through. But then when you put like, that's just the off the field piece, the non the field piece, like you have to be able to present yourself well on the field and not from, and I'm not saying all it's all about your athletic ability because we do evaluate you like in a team huddle, like water breaks, um, halftime, when you're walking away from your team, they just finished their post-game talk. Like are you walking across the field screaming and yelling? Um, or are you walking over just to say hi to your parents and 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 leaving peacefully, you know? So I think myself, I found myself evaluating an athlete top to bottom, every direction you can think of because culture is king and culture can make or break a program. So you want to make sure that you are, you know, these athletes. I I will go and I mean, 
just recently, like with an athlete that we just committed, I reached out to her high school coach. I reached out to her club coach. I reached out to one of her friends that I know through one of my club players and asked questions like, you're now researching the kid in every way, in every direction to make sure that like they're going to be an all around good kid for you and not causing problems Yeah, um, at my and level. You can, and you can do that on social media now, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and you can tell that type of stuff. I mean, we work with you know, uh, big, you know, power five Clemson and, and they have people that just watch social media and it's not necessarily to see, you know, do they have a, a you know, a cold beer in their hand when yeah. they're underage? It's how do they phrase certain things? Is it, I had a great game or is it, we, the team had a great game. Yeah. And it's, it's the littlest thing that, that they're uh, breaking apart because like you said, culture is king. Yeah. And you know, that, that determines, are they going to be a good fit for that program? Yeah. And I mean, just the NIL stuff alone makes it even greater. Like what deals am I going to give you? And what are you going to do for me? Because if you have one wrong, you say one thing wrong on an interview, you're done. Like you can totally ruin your image as an athlete. So it's a lot more pressure, but I think if you want to become a collegiate athlete, you have to be willing to deal with it. Like the pressure is going to always be there and you have to find ways to navigate the pressure to help yourself get through it. Absolutely. Yeah. So in, in your opinion, you've seen it at all different levels. Um, what's needed to help prepare athletes for life after sports? Like we just, I just talked about this the other day. Classes in college that apply to life after school, like maybe a class on taxes. That would be great. That would be helpful. Maybe like a lot of these kids, what I think they just said was a number that was thrown out um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, Out of all the NIL deals, there was like 5% that actually filed their taxes with the amount of money that they were given because they had no idea how to handle it. Um, So I would say more, more classes that are realistic to life after like you have student loans. How do you navigate that? How do you balance a budget? Um, how, like, like I said, taxes, like that's a big one. Cause a lot of my kids are like, what are taxes? Um, so I just think more, there should be more help to a student athlete in the, cl- like within their classes to help them navigate life after, because whether they go on and continue playing, they're going to, they still don't have those resources. Um, it's not like you go off and you become a pro and like everything's handed to you. Cause right. that's, pretty opposite in, in women's soccer. You go off, you take a pro deal, like you're on your own. Some programs don't have strength conditioning coaches. Some programs don't have a nutritionist. So I think more things that they can apply to life after would be beneficial, even if it's just a class once a week that helps them navigate um, just little things like balancing budgets, paying rent, stuff like that. I think we don't have any of that. And yeah. that's where you see them struggle the most is they are just... They get a big, big scholarship and they leave. And then they're like, wait, I've got to pay rent. Like, how do I do this? How do I do that? When it was all done before. So I think that would be very beneficial for every level. One, two, and three. doesn't matter the level. I think a lot of these athletes need kind of that advice after. Yeah. Well, and I think to give ourselves a commercial, it's making it relatable and understandable, right? So. Mm you know, it's, it's all of this stuff can be talked through the language of athletics so that it's easily understood and easily implemented. And it's, it's not making it so complex that you lose people. 
it's yeah. it's overcorrecting and making it so simple that it that it then gets put into place. Um, so yeah, I mean that's what we're seeing across the board too. So yeah. All right, give us a commercial. You um for your team, what uh what can, you know, what can we expect this year? Why do recruits want to consider uh Eastern Connecticut? Um where are you going? All of that type of stuff. Um I think this fall like we have 10 10 new players coming in. So I think it's going to be it's going to be a good year to finally we've built I built the foundation with the program last year. All of the kids bought in. They've they they've worked really really hard. Um and I give them a ton of credit both on and off the field. Everything I've asked they do it. And I give I, all the credit goes to them for that. So this season I'm excited because I think we can actually kind of continue to build on the foundation that we had this past year and they're all they're all bought in. They're all on summer league teams this summer. So we're kind of headed in the right direction. I think we'll have a bit more success this year. I'm not going to throw anything out into the universe saying we're going to be champions. That would be great, but I think we're still in our building phase. We have a couple more years of that. So I'm excited for that. And then um, why do people like Eastern? That's always a good question because we are in the quiet corner of Connecticut, um, about 30 minutes outside of Hartford. So I would say the campus is gorgeous and that's probably the biggest draw. The The cost of attendance is low. Um, and it's when you're surrounded in New England by hundreds and hundreds of universities, um, <laughs> it's like, it's funny. Cause like, there's a school, like, I, I feel like in, in the South, they say there's a church on every corner. And then in the Northeast, I'm like, there's literally a school on every corner. There's so many schools. So I think we're competitive from a financial standpoint for student athletes who want to get a cheaper undergrad and not have big student loans and then go off and get that master's at their school of their choice. And maybe it might be like a bigger school where it might be UConn right down the road, or maybe they want to go across the country and head to Malibu and I don't know, maybe go to Pepperdine. But um, I think for a starting point for them, it's the cost. And then the campus is just beautiful. Um, I, I was mind blown when I first stepped foot on campus. I was like, wait, what? So, and our, obviously our student center food, the mile high burger is mile high burger. There you go. It's incredible. So I would say, I would say that's the biggest draw. That's awesome. Sarah. Hey, thank you for spending some time with us. We appreciate it. We know we pulled you off the the recruiting uh, trail and we pulled you away from your, from all your coaching. So uh, we appreciate it. No, thank you. I, I enjoyed it. So I appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on NIL Undressed. As always, every like, subscribe, and share is greatly appreciated.